Hello, thanks for tuning in to Story Living, where we learn from inspiring leaders and their stories. I'm Jack, founder of Light Adventures, a certified coaching firm on a mission to illuminate people through story development. For this episode, we have the opportunity of speaking with Tim Sager, Chief R&D Officer at iRobot, who has an interesting perspective around bringing values to the workplace in organizations like Bose, as well as others in the defense industry. So we're gonna to touch on a variety of leadership development topics, and in particular, learn how to take steps of faith to enable growth. So without further ado, let's flip to the first digital page of this story and dive in. Hi, Tim, thanks for joining today. How's it going? I'm doing great, Jack. Uh, wonderful to be here, and thanks for having me. Of course, and where are you joining us from? I'm in Massachusetts, in a little town just outside of Boston, uh, in Upton, Massachusetts. Wonderful. I have some Boston roots as well. So big fan of where you're representing and looking forward to how you eventually arrive there. I know you've been in some different places uh, and on the verge of retirement, which I think listeners are really going to benefit from, even if they're not quite there yet. I'm sure you have some great insights from your journey. Uh, But before we move too forward, uh, let's start back in the early days. Uh, Interest in electronics, uh, very supportive parents, but also minimal supervision in the workshop uh, and maybe even a lawn mowing business. So walk us through that early interest in tech. You, you bet. I um, had a, some engineering roots here, I think, when I was a kid. My dad had a wood shop um, and probably a little uh, was a little too supportive in terms of the supervision offered. He showed me how to use the tools and then let me kind of do my thing, which was great. Um, learning how to make things early, I think, is a real good thing, especially as a, a young person wanting to get into engineering. Um, but there's also sort of this idea of taking things apart, which my folks were also probably a little too supportive in letting me work on on engines and both the lawnmower and other stuff, too. Um, it just was a really good environment for me both to learn, to think about how to make stuff, and then also um, understanding what freedom as a young person, sort of how to run your own business, a lawn mowing business for me, um, and what comes behind that, right? And how to sort of the value of work as a young at a young age was really helpful and formative to me. Awesome, really good insights early on and uh, looking forward to hearing how those came into play later on in your career. Uh, but as you then progressed and continued your passion for learning, uh, I think you were over at University of Auburn for your electrical engineering degree and then your master's at UT Arlington. So we usually like to on the podcast talk about secondary education, given a lot of the shifts happening right now uh, and knowing that you hire for high performing teams. Can you walk us through a little bit of your views around secondary education? Sure. Um, I'm a big believer in it, actually, for a few different reasons. Um, In today's high-tech industry and environment, it seems especially valuable, as as I see it, in terms of the kinds of people we try to hire. Uh, There's another dimension of it, though, that I personally feel that I I personally look for more of the kind of person and what they learn in their secondary education than in terms of the school specifically. I know that you need the background in your training, but I I think people grow up and what ultimately determines their success in their work is much more about what they make of their education in terms of how they learn, how hard they're willing to work, and in particular, connecting the outcomes with the drive to achieve them. Uh, It's something that doesn't come with everyone, and it doesn't just come at Ivy League schools. Frankly, you you see people who are willing to work and work very hard, uh, and I value that highly. 
Wonderful, yeah, that nice balance of the technical expertise, but also making sure they're gonna be a cultural fit. Um, so for any listeners right now who might be going through an interview process, uh, one practical tip you might give them as they're going through that process. Yeah, one of the things that I've used personally is think about finding a fit for who you are than trying to find a job, because then it changes your mindset in the sense of you're not trying to present something that you think the listener wants to hear. You're trying to jointly assess, are you a good fit for this role? So it puts you in a learning mindset. It puts you in a sense, it puts you in a, in a frame of mind where you're happy to share who you are as a person, what you're capable of, what you're good at, maybe what you're not. Um, because the goal is trying to find a fit and it puts you on the same side as the same side of the table as the person you're talking to. I really appreciate how you call it jointly assessing. Sometimes it can feel almost like this battle with the interviewer and interviewee. And so um, really appreciate that point and maybe a nice transition into your early career uh, and one of your early jobs where uh, you had a hyper accelerated track to leadership where I think it was in three short years, you went from bench engineering to managing a team of over 600. Uh, so walk us through a little bit of that story as well as what you learned from that experience. Yeah, it was a real rocket ship is what it felt like to me sort of going through it. Uh, and this was in a consumer product oriented company at the time. And I moved into a group where I was doing um, straight up bench engineering, like you suggested, I was doing digital signal processing at the time. And we got a contract that ultimately I wound up leading a project that had a very, very pressurized delivery timeline and just a lot of big goals. And so that was real trial by fire for me. And honestly, I was just trying to survive. Uh, the people that I worked with at the time, we were all just trying to survive. But what I sort of realized in looking back on it, it was I was too busy surviving at the time, was it forced me to think differently because you were I, I was in a mindset of trying things just to see what would work. But it, I took that with me in the sense that um, you've got to be willing to try new things. And if they don't work, you throw them away and you try something else and you keep doing that until you find something that works. Um, that was a big part of it. And then there's another part of it that you realize when it's that pressurized, you just can't do everything yourself. So I learned to trust people and learn to value people who, uh, and frankly, had skills and expertise in areas that I just didn't have. And I couldn't do it all. And I realized that was, that was something I learned after trying to do it all. And so I, I got into a place where I simply couldn't. And then that got me to a place also where I was willing to trust people and uh, really try more to equip them. Uh, it just made us a better team overall. Um, and that was something that I've carried with me since then, frankly. And it was a real good learning experience overall. Oh, I bet. Trial by fire and building that trust uh, almost being forced into delegation, which sounds like was a good uh, learning for yourself. And maybe in the same vein around leadership development and tied to the story, you shared an intriguing idea around maybe gentle stretching uh, or sometimes a little bit uh, more uh, encouraged stretching. And so I'm curious, you know, for listeners, maybe if their uh, executives teams are struggling a little bit to go to that next level, what are your views around that gentle stretching uh, to help enable those high performing, high potential individuals? Yeah, that's great, Jack. So I, it wasn't just in that time I was describing leading that project early in my career, but what I've learned about myself is I've grown the most when I stretch the most. And it's, it's a little bit like physical stretching in a sense. If you can't feel it, you're probably not actually gaining a benefit from it. And you can always overstretch, of course, um, in your work and in your career. But at the same time, the times I've stretched really in places that made me uncomfortable, 
I really felt like I learned and grew tremendously. I mean, just in ways I never could have imagined. And there's a part of it too, that uh, it's not easy to predict where that growth might come or what it might be. You sort of have to just trust it and lean into it and realize that it's, if you're willing to take a bit of a risk, um, as long as it feels, uh, as I'll say safe to do so, you can grow in ways that you just really wouldn't anticipate. Um, and so this is something that I've, I've tried to do with people, especially when I see them as, as high growth or high potential. You put them in situations where you're not exactly sure what's gonna happen, but you give them a chance to grow. And usually good things will come out of that. Um, and usually people who are um, really high potential want the growth, they want the opportunity as well too. But you've, you've gotta be willing to recognize that it's not predictable. You don't know what's gonna happen. It'll feel uncomfortable. And you sort of have to be okay with that. Mm, yes, embracing that uncertainty that uh, unfortunately is plaguing a lot of people these days during the pandemic, but it's really a shift in mindset around, you know, from challenging to opportunistic maybe. And so I'm curious as far as providing opportunities for these high potential individuals, how do you uh, present these opportunities to them, right? In a way that you acknowledge their potential and maybe uh, invite them into uh, an experience that might really truly stretch them and be difficult, but how do you present it in a way that's going to excite them to jump in instead of maybe feeling like they were dragged into it? Yeah, um, it's great. So I, I try to present this in a way where people um, recognize the reality of it, which is it will stretch them. So they'll feel tricked, you know, but that, that they know they can be supported because I, I had a, an experience also very early on in my career where I was the, the first project I was describing uh, where it felt very stressful to me, but I was meeting with my boss and he made it super clear that while he was allowing me to lead the work and lead the project, he was really actively trying to help me. It also helped me recognize what the, one of the aspects of the role of a boss can actually be that's super helpful to people is you're genuinely trying to help the individual succeed. And if they know that, um, that you as their manager or someone, maybe a stakeholder in the organization have their back and are willing to help them as they walk out on that ledge a little bit, that they're not alone. Um, it makes people more willing to consider the, see the upside, I guess, than just the downside. Because it, it's, it's nerve wracking, right? I mean, if you've ever literally stood on the edge of something and looked down, you realize how high up you are and you can feel that same way at work. And to know that somebody's got their hand on your arm and they're gonna hold you and they're gonna help you out a little bit, um, it, it really does matter. Mm, tons of empathy and really making sure people feel, you know, uh, encouraged but held at the same time. So great points. Uh, and so with that, you know, moving on from maybe what we'll call the intangible concepts, mm -hmm. as much as I love to sit with the leadership development side, uh, you have a really unique insight, um, especially given uh, within tech, your experience in the electronics industry. And so uh, with that, we'd love to dive into some different aspects. But first, um, maybe walk us through just some of the joys and stresses of being in these environments that uh, I'm assuming require particular skill sets for researching and producing consumer goods on a massive scale. Um, so maybe walk us through a little bit of what that environment is like for those of us who haven't really been into it. Uh, sure. I, I got to tell you, working in consumer, it, it is different. I did start my career in defense and there's, there's value in that and, and not to minimize it. But on the positive side, to be able to talk to people and show them your work, when they light up, when you tell them who you work for, or the projects you've worked on, or the products you've helped, helped launch, man, there is nothing better. Mm -hmm. And I've had a chance to experience that both at Bose and now at iRobot, where people, they find out where you work, 
and they can't wait to tell you the story about the product and the great experience that they had. It is, it's uplifting in a way that's hard to put into words until you get a chance to really experience it. It's just awesome. Um, the, the other part of consumer that immediately comes to mind is the difference between making, uh, you know, one or a few of something and making a million. You know, there is nothing that will reveal the quality of the work of the team like trying to make a million of something. And if there's any little problems, any weakness in the approach, any weakness in the design, it'll get found when you try to scale to that level of volume. And one of the very, I think it's just a great opportunity for um, any engineer or any person in product development. If you haven't had the chance, hopefully one day we'll be able to travel again, go to a factory because mm -hmm. there is nothing until you can physically see what it's like when the thing is hard to put together or um, there's a problem and they've had to stack these things and there's what 50,000 systems might look like that need to get reworked or when the plant manager is pointing to you all the problems with the design that make his life hard or you know on and on and on you you get a sense of reality in what it takes to make stuff and it really is challenging and there's an art in it that is different than inventing both of these things are valuable in terms of product development but I, I really, I value the creativity of people who can, are inventors and can blaze a trail and do all those things. But I value people who can do robust design and know how to launch products, whether it's in hardware or software, they get it out and it scales and the thing works, man, it is awesome. And um, often it can be undervalued, right? Because if, if it's sort of like, um, if, if there aren't bad things that happen, you can sort of, you might imagine that it just is that way, but it's never an accident. And it takes a lot of hard work by a lot of people to pull off a high quality launch. Uh, and once you've had a bad launch in your background, you appreciate what goes into it. I just value it highly. Fascinating, fascinating. That's so interesting. And, you know, among many of your roles, uh, particularly interested in your chief research and development officer role um, and tied to this conversation around electronics. Um, walk us through a little bit of what that is like to run an R&D org. It's uh, quite honestly, I, I'm super lucky to be able to be the chief R&D officer at a consumer robotics company. I, I feel really fortunate. The quality of the people that I get to work with um, as a person who just likes technology and products, it's a little bit like a candy store. And you see some of the things that technology can do and being out on the edge of robotics, but like iRobot is, um, it's just a lot of fun. So the, the, one of the challenges in it, quite honestly, is how to not become sort of wrapped up in the technology itself. Because ultimately, as a company, as any product company, what you're really trying to do is use the technology to solve a problem in a way that's different and better than your competitors. But you're trying to solve a problem that customers actually care about. And if you just get wrapped up in the tech for the tech's sake, you'll actually start making mistakes as a company because you'll launch stuff that might be cool, but people don't care. And mm -hmm. so the art in it, quite honestly, as I see it in one of the things in my role, is how do you help the, the R&D team know what matters and how do you keep them connected to the business in a way that their work has an impact? And, and they're, I mean, engineers, no matter what their role, and they're just like any humans, right? They want to know that their work matters. And there's no better payoff for an engineer when they help create something and they know it's connected to something that people care about. Um, that's, that's a win for them, but it's easy, easy in technology companies to get wrapped up in the tech just for the technology sake, because it is interesting and it's cool. And if it, people can't do it or it's hard, you, you can feel like, yeah, I want to go climb that mountain, 
but it turns out it's not a mountain worth climbing and you've got to stay pointed in the right direction. Hmm, interesting. Well, thanks for sharing and some valuable insight for just general product development is making sure there's that market need. It sounds like um, is a good driving force. And personally, we're a big fan of our Roomba here, yeah. especially with our baby and uh, the innovation of that thing and how it can clean up a room. So uh, with technology, your insights in R&D uh, and your vast experience in consumer goods, what are you most excited about with the future of this types of uh, technology? Yeah. Um interestingly, as technology, as robotics um, might seem like an inherently um, high-tech area, and, and, and frankly it is, part of what's really interesting to me is the new capability that can come at the consumer level of, of cost. Mm -hmm. So just if you look at what uh, phones, and this gets back into the, the cost curves attached to electronics and supply chain, um, the massive amounts of compute and software capability that are in phones now have built a set of capabilities that now other industries can leverage. And so what's happening is in many different types of products, you can add in capabilities that in the past would have been, you know, way out of range of what you think a consumer might be able to afford. It's sort of almost like putting a supercomputer in a very consumer oriented product. That's really what phones are. And they've been able to push the capabilities of what consumers both can appreciate and expect. And it is, it's super exciting. Um, it really enables a whole new level of software capability. The robots are just going to get smarter and they learn stuff, frankly. And this is all, these are all things that just weren't possible um, with sort of the previous level of, com of computation. Fascinating. And so with that, I'm also curious because, you know, at Light Adventures, we're all about just giving back and making the world a better place too. And, and not to say that in a cliche way, but um, technology sometimes uh, can have a bit of a dim light cast on it uh, from whatever is in the news cycle uh, that quarter, whether it's privacy data, what have you. So I'm curious uh, with this interest and what you're saying around compute power, some of the AI coming in, where do you see some of this technology coming in for the better of humanity? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And even in something that might feel um, sort of ordinary, like cleaning someone's home in the case of, of iRobot and with a Roomba, um, it actually is something that can be a challenge for many people, either from a time point of view or sometimes even physically. So it, something even so mundane as cleaning your home can actually be an enabling or liberating thing if people just don't have to do it personally. Um, so we actually feel like um, even with this in, in today's types of products, um, we can be enabling for people in a way that is, is actually meaningful. And over time, we think that with robotics and the kinds of capabilities that just they're going to keep getting smarter, we think there'll be other applications which will help people in their homes, either to have more time to do things that they want or even to stay in their homes longer, depending on what their personal situation is as they age. Um, it's something that Colin, our, Colin Engel, our CEO, has talked about as a real mission in the very long term for our company is how do you help people live better lives and live longer in their homes? And that's a really inspiring point of view. Mm. Yeah, great mission to rally around with the organization um, and just helping others. So in that same light, shifting gears a little bit for you personally, um, I know you also had a position of a few times being an elder of your church. And so I'm curious uh, around your gospel values and how those have come out with colleagues. I know you've shared some different examples uh, where you've really been able to help people with those values. So maybe a story or, or an instance where, you know, bringing your values to the workplace really helped others and, uh, and bring a light to that place. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, the thing that comes to my mind was actually when I was at Bose. And I, but one of the things I valued about Bose is they had a very strong uh, coaching program as a development process to help people. 
And I had the benefit of that when I was there. And at the time, I was also chairman of the board of elders at the church where my wife and I and our family attended. And I, I was going through a, a session or a discussion with the coach. And, and what came out of that was I was recognizing that the leadership style I used at church in leading the elder board was different than the leadership style I used at work in leading my team there. And he asked me why. And I thought about it for a second and I said, well, I don't know. And it's sort of in my head, you might normally expect a church environment to be more warm or inclusive or caring or any sort of thing that you might attach to that and work being about sort of results and just the work and not the people. But what I learned out of that is people are people, of course, and having a, um, a leadership style that appreciates the humanity of your team and sort of the journey along with the destination, it, it made it more meaningful to me. And I think it made me a better leader, frankly, um, because it, it helped me realize that um, how I show up as a person is important to my team and me recognizing who they are as people and that I care about them as people um, matter to them. And this might seem obvious, but it's not that common as I've observed it in, in companies and in leadership, um, that they recognize and value the people as, as individuals, even though it is about the work in a work environment, you have to get things done, but to do it in a way that actually demonstrates that you care about people and it shows who you are as a person was real growth and learning experience for me. And it, like I said, it made me a better leader. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sure your employees appreciated it and then seeing how that can, you know, disseminate around an organization. So similarly, in this idea of just bringing values and supporting culture, uh, both on an organizational level and individual level, um, from your point of view, what are some of the most important things when trying to continually um, build and innovate a culture? Right, knowing that this idea of diversity and inclusion is more important than ever, especially in tech companies. Um, so what are maybe some ways that you and your executive teams have gone about supporting the cultures that you've been a part of? Sure, um, the, the, probably the, the first thing I would say, there's really two that first come to mind. One is to be intentional. And, and you know, one of the ways I've heard it described is um, you'll, you'll get a culture whether you intend to or not, right? So that you're better off if you're intentional about it you can write it down you can articulate it in a way that's clear and meaningful to people and then the second thing and this may feel obvious but it's it's not that common is that uh, culture starts with leadership and it actually starts with um, the people in leadership and the expectations you set for yourself and other people around you i i try hard to model the behavior that i want to see in the organization and i've fallen short at times we all do but one of the yardsticks i use for myself is if I'm in a situation and I'm behaving a certain way, um, what I wanna see more of that, because I should expect that people will um, either consciously or unconsciously emulate my behavior in the way that I act in, in group settings. And how would I feel about that if more people acted the way I was acting in a particular moment? And that's been a really good um, yardstick for me because there's been times when I felt like I fell short and I had to go deal with that. Um, but I think it's a great concept for leaders just in the moment imagining how would you feel if more people or everyone was acting this particular way and it can be very affirming at the same time right it's you're modeling something you feel great about it can also be a reminder that hey you need to set that bar just a little bit higher 
Mm, very inspiring. And it makes me think of what you were mentioning at Bose, the coaching culture. And oftentimes, uh, and when I'm working with some execs as well on their ability to coach others, is we sometimes get focused on the Socratic method of helping draw people out, their skills, their talents, asking questions in a Socratic method. But then there's this really important method that you're sharing around a little bit of modeling and, and walking it out um, and, and really making sure that you're embracing and displaying what you want seen in the rest of the organization, uh, which oftentimes requires a lot of humility. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on the show, Tim, was, was your humility and how humble you are. So I'm curious if we can have a little bit of fun. Um, is there an instance where, as you mentioned, you've had some of not maybe your most proud moments, but what are you, um, a time looking back on your career that maybe you can have a laugh about where things just didn't quite go as expected, uh, maybe even as people call it, just kind of failing on your face, but then you learn from that opportunity as well. Anything that comes to mind as far as um, a time that maybe something didn't go as well as you would have liked? Oh yeah, sure. So there's, unfortunately, there's kind of a long list. Uh, the one that comes to mind was all the way back, it sort of started me on this leadership journey, but um, this was when I was at Bose and we had been doing a series of engagement surveys that were revealing what I thought was simply a morale problem. And what I, what I, I, I sort of approached it as, hey, what HR thing do I need to do to fix my morale problem? And then it will just go away and we can get back to the work. And what I began to appreciate though, was it was more rooted in how we were acting and how I was acting and the kind of leadership behaviors I was modeling. And I ultimately began to realize that this was much more of an opportunity than it was just simply solving a problem. And it's sort of like, you know, wind in your sails kind of a thing. Um, and, and quite honestly, we were, we were in trouble at the time as an organization because um, the engagement scores were low and the really tough part was they were lowest among the management team. They were the lowest. And um, it took us about 18 months, which was actually pretty quick. But uh, over that period of time, we went from very low scores to more or less leading the company in terms of engagement, and in particular in the management team. It was a very, very pronounced turnaround. But it was humbling, right? You had to recognize that you can't just keep doing the same things that you're doing. And I had to, I had to act differently as well, too. Uh, and help people understand what different actually looked like. But the payoff was huge. It was really huge and notable for the people in the team. It was great, actually, in hindsight. Now, it was a little tough at the time. Hindsight, it was great. <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure. Well, thanks for bringing that element of humility. And now it makes me curious, is there anything you could share um, around what enabled that transformation? Because it sounds like quite the comeback story and learnings that, although maybe in engineering, sometimes we want to just fix things, uh, it's maybe not as simple as that as you shared. So. Uh, what were some of maybe the strategies you took to, to bring about that change? I, I spent a lot of time learning. So I um, spent during that time period of my career, I probably spent more time investing in learning about how to lead and culture and how people can show up at work and how, what matters to people. So I spent more, I invested more time in learning than probably any time since school. Uh, since my, my college education, it was a very big time commitment for me. And what I felt, a few of the things that I learned about it was, quite honestly, is that I need to recognize the people in the organization differently. And um, this is everything from how I communicate to how I, how I behave to how I acted towards people, or treated people. But one of the most sort of informative examples to me was, uh, it was in a book, um, I think by Chip Heath at the time. I've forgotten the title of it. 
but he talked about um, the metaphor of a rider sitting on top of an elephant. And, you know, it's sort of the idea of head versus heart. And the rider represents the brain or the head of the people or your organization or an individual. And the heart is represented by the elephant. And so you sort of have to recognize when you're talking to the head and when you're talking to the heart. And the rider or the head of an individual or a team sort of sets the direction, but the elephant, that's how you get through obstacles. So what helps people achieve things that are hard, that helps them get through difficult circumstances is their heart. You have to connect with them emotionally. And knowing the difference between those two things was really powerful for me. And then understanding how I can talk to people's minds and how I can talk to and connect with people's hearts. That was a big, big change point for me personally. And knowing how to do that in sort of big rooms and organizationally was a real enabler for my team at the time and has continued to be an enabler for me in, in the work that I do now. Mm, beautifully articulated that balance of head and heart uh, and understanding what the organization needs. So thanks for sharing that. Now, speaking of this elephant metaphor, maybe we can uh, carry it on in, in a little cheesy way, but you're on your way of writing out of uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. your, your formal phase of uh, one formal phase of your career. So um, as we're wrapping up, was really excited to talk about your uh, approach or planning to retirement, which is coming up soon for you. Now, maybe our listeners aren't quite there, uh, but at some point will be. So how have you approached your planning of retirement uh, to set yourself up for the next phase? I've tried to the extent that I can to be thoughtful about it. And this probably isn't that surprising to people. It's a big step, right? So you want to think through it. Um, but I did it in a way that was, I, I went and talked to people that had gone through retirement, right? To learn what they feel like they've learned, um, things that they might've done differently. Uh, there is a, obviously a financial part of it, but that's not really the thing that I think is, it's important, but I don't think it's the main thing because as we all hope that we might have a, a next stage that will be very, um, very lengthy. I think you really need to think about your purpose. And that's where I've tried to spend time and where I'm spending time now is what does purpose look like? How does it show up for me? Um, it's easy, I think, for us to confuse who we are and what we do. And I've tried hard in my work to not um, confuse my work with my identity but it's there, right? You have to be conscious of that. And so when that sort of day job goes away, you have to think about, am I ready for how to express who I am as a person and not just sort of, um, you know, sit on the couch or, or go play golf or, or whatever, you know, the metaphor might look like. So I've been trying to be thoughtful about, it's sort of a what's next as opposed, so for me, this is retirement for my robot is the way I've talked about it. Um, and it'll, I hope show up in ways that will help me continue to grow as a person um, in mind, body, and soul. Um, I wanna be challenged mentally in some ways. I, I obviously hope to stay healthy uh, for as long as I can. And I wanna also grow and stay healthy spiritually. I feel like as a, as a person, um, that would be a great, that's a great aspiration for me to think about it in all three dimensions. Uh, and so as I'm trying to think about it, I'm trying to look for opportunities that might help me in one or more of those dimensions and what next might look like. Beautiful. And uh, forgive my English bulldog puppy who is really excited by your comments there barking <laughs> in the good. background. But 
That's uh, good. He's, he's also purpose driven. Um, yeah. And I love what you're sharing around bringing that balance to mind, body, and spirit. Oftentimes what Jesus taught as well is living with that deeper purpose because uh, our time on earth here is very short. And so thinking of that and, and now is taking a step back with um, going to have some, you know, free time on your hands, purpose driven. And I know you're, you know, a big fan of supporting others and communities. So as we're wrapping up, can you give a shout out to a nonprofit that you're particularly passionate about? I can. Uh, there's two I'd love to just mention. One is, there's a common theme here. One is the church that um, my wife and I attend and have been part of for a long time here. It's Faith Community Church in Hopkinton, yeah. uh, just outside again of, of Boston. It's where the marathon starts in Hopkinton. And then uh, secondly is World Vision. Both of these um, organizations have a real recognition of helping people in, in both, not just a spiritual sense, but in a in a physical sense. Um, we as, as people and often in this earth, we're, we're broken in some way. And it's not just spiritual, it can be physical for sure. And recognizing that you have to help people in many ways that they need help is really at the heart of both of these organizations. There's a, there's a great um, a verse in James 2 that talks about showing your faith by what you do. And mm -hmm. this isn't a grace versus works thing, but it's just recognizing that you can minister to people in lots of different ways. And quite honestly, people can't hear what you say sometimes um, because what you do speaks so loudly and, and recognizing even in today's culture and environment, if you're doing good work for people and trying to help them, they'll respond almost universally well. They appreciate it and respect it. And I see that in uh, both of these organizations. Mm, well, thanks for sharing. Shout out to them. And I love just this idea of as, as they'll uh, know the love of God by our fruit, right? And not making it some religious uh, agenda, but really just bringing compassion to a world that needs it, uh, especially in these times. So yeah. appreciated everything you've shared, Tim. And now as we're wrapping up, uh, any other closing words of wisdom or inspiration? Because I'm personally feeling very inspired. I'm sure our listeners will be. Uh, so any closing words that you can offer? Uh, thanks, Jack. I really appreciate it. Uh, the thing, it, it's a theme through some of the, the things that we've talked about, but it's um, be willing to stretch a little bit. And I've seen this show up in both career choices I've made or projects I've taken on, but also in terms of even daily decisions I make. Uh, it's about learning sort of my tendencies and decision making and recognizing that if I'm willing to stretch in ways that just make me a little bit uncomfortable, even if it's in just a daily decision around things in areas that I might want to grow, just push my boundary a little bit. Um, it's almost always paid off for me. And um, I find support in places I didn't expect it. And I find growth in ways I didn't anticipate. So I just encourage people to try and be willing to grow and just stretch in ways that they, as it may show up in their day. Mm. Beautifully said. So as people are going on their days, step out of your comfort zone, uh, embrace the challenge for some growth. Um, and I'm thankful for what I've taken from this conversation, Tim. Uh, so I wish you all the best in that next phase. And, and thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Jack. I really do appreciate it. It was great to be here. So thankful to Tim for joining, sharing his unique insights and inspiring words to help all of us on our paths of growth. So with that, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for another day. Thank you for Tim, for how you've created him to be such an inspiring and humble man. And I hope that his light inspired others listening, God. And we thank you for being our light. 
and guiding us on our paths to growth uh, and also having our backs when it feels like we're on the edge of something, we can always trust in you because of how good and faithful you are. Thank you for being such a loving God and thank you for your son. In his holy, precious name we pray, amen. Amen, thanks for tuning in and much love. Thank you.